All right, so we're in Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 21 today. And as I just told the kids, Paul did not know exactly what he was walking into, but the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, had warned him that he was walking into trouble, into difficulty. He knew that chains and tribulations were waiting for him, but still he pressed forward. Even though he knew he was walking into a fiery trial, he pressed forward in obedience to Christ. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, before we go into Acts chapter 21. Acts 20, 22 through 24, it says, And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says, I'm going forward even though chains and tribulation await me because this is my obedience to the Lord. This is what God has called me to do, to finish my race with joy, the ministry that he gave me from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of God's grace. So if Christianity only defines what we believe and not who we are, and there is a difference. People say they believe all sorts of things. And I always say this, and it is true. You can tell what a person believes by what they do. Because what we believe is really what we do. We can say we believe all kinds of things, but if our life doesn't match our words, then our words are empty. So Christianity has got to be more than just what we say we believe. It's got to be who we are. Our witness has no power if it is just empty words. For us today, Christianity must transcend being a label that defines another cultural belief system. This is what Christianity is in, in Europe. It's what it's fast becoming in America. Christianity, people who call themselves Christian in Europe, has nothing to do with their obedience to Christ and their relationship with the Lord. It is just a cultural label. Christianity must define who we are, who we follow, and how we live our life, with Jesus Christ being the center and the Lord of all things. Those who proclaim Christ and Christianity as just another way are not Christian, and Christ does not know them. Read Matthew chapter 7. There are lots of people who profess to know Jesus, but Jesus says, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, for I do not know you. So, it's not just you knowing Jesus. You need to know that Jesus knows you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we are commanded to follow and obey him and make known his name, no matter the cost. Jesus is not another way. He is the one and the only. Christ is the only hope we have in life and in death. He is so much more, but he is certainly not less than that. Acts chapter 21 
beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail running a straight course, we came to Kos the following day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left and sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. And they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. And when we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus and greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we were... We who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist who was one of the seven. That means he was one of the seven deacons originally appointed in, uh, in, in, in Acts chapter 6. And staying with him, now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as they stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his feet and hands, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. That is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. And you have given to us that power, that word, Lord, that we are to preach, that we are to teach, that we are to live as salt and light in this earth. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds today and by your Holy Spirit that you would transform us, conform our minds to your mind. Change us, Lord. Conform us to the very image of Jesus that we would be a people that would glorify your name in this earth. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in Acts chapter 21, in these first 14 verses, uh, Paul is making his way to Jerusalem. I want to focus on verses 12, 13, and 14 of, these, uh, of this part of the chapter. After Agabus takes Paul's belt and Agabus binds his own hands and feet and says the man who owns this belt is going to be bound in like manner when he goes to Jerusalem. This was not the first time that Paul had received this warning. I think this is where sometimes we may get confused. It's like, well, if God was telling him not to go, why did he go? 
It wasn't that God, God was not telling him not to go. God was telling him what was going to happen. God was showing him what would happen as he went. When he got there, he was telling Paul, this is what's going to happen. And it wasn't to discourage Paul from going. It was that Paul would be encouraged as he entered into his trial and tribulation, that he would be encouraged knowing that he was in the will of God. And we're going to see later on in, in, in a couple of chapters after this that the Lord speaks to Paul and shows Paul that what has happened to him is exactly consistent with the will of God. And God, uh, the Lord Jesus tells him, you're not going to die here in Jerusalem. You're going to make it to Rome. Uh, you must go to Rome and preach the gospel. And Paul did. And that's actually where Paul was eventually martyred. But here in these verses, he's forewarned of the things that would happen. And it says in verse 12, Now when we heard these things, these are the companions of Paul, the disciples who are with Paul, those that came with him on the ship that had been traveling with him, those that met him there, this is the church. And when they heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. But this was Paul's answer. What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And verse, verse 14 tells us that when he would not be persuaded, when it became clear that Paul was going to continue on to Jerusalem, even though he was warned of what would happen, they ceased trying to persuade him to not go, and they said, the will of the Lord be done. Paul said, I am ready to be bound, but not only that, I am ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. We are to be a ready people. The Sunday school lesson this morning was, I, I, I typically get here late, sometimes I don't make it, um, but it was, it was such a great lesson, it's a, such a great series that Peter Jones is doing about one-ism and two-ism, about the state of our world, and in particular the state of our nation, that has gone to full-blown paganism. And it has reached that point because the church has not been ready. The church has taken her ease and she has not done the things necessary that are our obedience to Christ. Paul professed that he was ready to be bound. He was ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus those are strong words. It's easy to say those words. Just like Peter did. Remember Peter who said to the Lord Jesus, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll die with you, for you. Jesus turned around and he said, Peter, before this night's over, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. I believe Peter meant those words, but when push came to shove, when it actually came down to following through, Peter was not able to do it. Because Peter 
trusted perhaps in his own power, in his own ability, out of his own emotion. Peter obviously learned from that lesson, which is why when he came down from that upper room on the day of Pentecost, he preached a sermon. And the Bible says there were 3,000 souls saved. And Peter, just like Paul, eventually was martyred for his faith. Paul speaks these strong words, and he proved through his obedient actions that he meant every one of them. He was bound, and he did eventually die for the name of Jesus. The question is, are we ready? Not because times are uncertain or the faith less accepted. It is. But we have always been commanded to be ready. Paul says this to Timothy, be instant in season and out of season. Or we might say it this way, in good times and in bad times. In times of abundance or in times of lack. When things are easy and when things are difficult, we need to be ready. And typically, and we saw this during our winter storm... Some people say once in a lifetime winter storm. I don't know. Maybe. But did you notice what everybody said after the winter storm? Man, I'm buying a generator. Man, I'm going to stock up on firewood. Man, I'm going to be prepared. It's like it's 80 degrees. Winter's over. You're going to put your winter clothes away and you're going to be wearing your shorts and your flip-flops pretty soon. But that's human nature. We get caught off guard, and now we're scrambling to get ready. And I submit to you, this is where the church in America is right now. The climate of the culture does not determine our readiness. Though it very often motivates us to get ready, it should not be that way. We have from the beginning, since the fall of man in the garden, been in a spiritual warfare, and the forces... Uh, with the forces of darkness. This is not new. Th what we're experiencing is not new. It may be new to us, but it's not new. We must consider what it even means for us to be ready today. Are we ready, like Paul, to be bound, even to die for the name of Christ? And I know you're sitting there thinking, that sounds extreme. That would never happen. It's not extreme today in communist China or communist North Korea. It's not extreme in places in our side of the globe, in our hemisphere, with places like Venezuela and other Central and South American countries, even in southern Mexico. Christians are martyred, martyred for their, their faith. It's not extreme in Nigeria or Ethiopia, or Somalia, or the Sudan, or Pakistan, or many other Muslim countries. It only sounds extreme to us because we have lived under the blessing of God for so long and to such a degree that it's hard for us to imagine anything different. As Christians, as people who profess faith in Christ, as people who define their world from a biblical worldview, I hope you do, I pray you do, 
even if in part you do. It's hard to imagine something so extreme. Yet it happens in our world all the time. It's happening right now. In fact, we have lived under such blessing, the blessing of God for so many generations in this nation that we, we can lose blood-bought rights and freedoms that started a revolution centuries ago. We can lose those and not even notice today. And that is happening. We just heard today, some of you may have read this in the news, talked about it in Sunday school, about the pastor in Canada who's in prison because he had church. And the condition of his release from prison was you cannot worship. He's still in prison. I didn't say that was China. I said that was Canada. We are under attack right now. And the church in large part does not even know that we are in a war. And if you are not, then it's time to get ready. Listen to the charge that Paul gave Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 5. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus. Now I want to say this before I finish reading this. Paul wrote this to Timothy, but the Holy Spirit inspired Paul writing to Timothy for us today. In other words, the charge does not just to apply to someone who's in heaven now, going on 2,000 years. The charge applies to every disciple, to every believer in Jesus Christ. It applies to us today. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, exclamation point. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Do you know why I'm here? Ephesians chapter 4 says that God... That the Lord Jesus gave gifts to the church. Pastors and teachers were given to the church. The scripture says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is not just for the pastor or the teacher, for the elder. The work of ministry is for every believer, including pastors and teachers. It's for all of us. Therefore, this charge, I believe... This charge belongs to every one of us. We have always been called to be a ready people. What this means is that we need to be ready. The fact that we need to be ready is not unique to our day and to our age. Paul wrote those words to Timothy some 2,000 years ago, but they apply to us today. And we see that the call to be ready is not new because... Even back then, people were heaping up for them teachers and preachers who would tickle their ears instead of tell them the truth. And, and so it's not just 
preachers and teachers. It's congregations who would endure. I was thinking about this. I pray that you are a congregation who would not endure a pastor who would just simply tickle your ears. But you would be a congregation who would demand more. And if that pastor, if that teacher would not give you what the scripture demands that he gives, that you would help him out the door. This means that the need to be ready is not unique. It's not new to our age and our day. Spiritual apathy, heresies, and me-centered congregations, me-centered preachers and teachers are not new. These have always been in the church. It is the same sin and the same rebellion that that man fell for in the garden. This goes all the way back to man's original sin. There has always been a need to be ready because we have always been in a spiritual warfare. Jesus has won the victory, but the destruction and the lure of sin is all too real in this fallen world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life are still powerful temptations that constantly seek to draw us away. And many, many are drawn away. The lie is real, but the truth will set you free. Sinful man is still sinfully suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Do not be deceived. This is why we're going through Romans right now on Wednesday night. There's a large part of the church that believes the world's problem is they just don't know. Bless their hearts, they're just ignorant. If they just knew, and I feel so sorry for them. I mean, why would God do that? Why wouldn't God just just tell everybody? When I hear people say that, do you read your Bible? You ever read Romans? Yeah, I have. Well, let's read it together. Let's look at what the scripture says. Because the problem of man is not his ignorance. The problem of man is his rebellion. Man rebelliously suppresses the truth in unrighteousness, the Bible says. This isn't a, this isn't a matter. We've got to get the word out to all these people that don't know. No, they already know. This is why the scripture says they are already without excuse. In fact, in Romans, Paul writes, God has shown it to them. It's in them. They understand it. They willfully suppress it. And what we are commanded to do is not suggest that people think about receiving Jesus. We are commanded to command people to believe in Jesus, to trust in Jesus. See, the world doesn't like this doesn't like this kind of preaching and teaching. The world doesn't like it when Christians talk this way, when pastors talk this way, because it sounds too abrasive. You, you make it sound like, pastor, that, you know, people are basically evil. Yes, they are. <laughs> Bingo. That's it. It's called, it's called original sin. It's called total depravity. Humans are totally and completely depraved. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't kind and nice atheists who do kind and nice things. And we can in the worldly sense say he's a good guy. But in the biblical sense from God's point of view there are no good guys. There was only one. His name was Jesus. And the world hated him so much that they killed him to get rid of him. But he didn't go away. 
And if you think about it, in America, because of the church's unreadiness and apathy, sinful man has made great strides to erode the freedoms that have come from the truth of the gospel. This is why we're free today. The reason we're free in America is because of Jesus Christ, period. Don't believe anything else the world tells you because the world does not want you to believe that. The world wants to deny the truth and convince you of a lie. And the only reason we have freedom in America is because of Jesus Christ. And if you will be a student of history and understand how this came about, you will have a much better understanding of who we are in a nation, and you will also have a much better understanding of what's happening to us right now as a nation and what the solution is. We see this happening because the lie is being promoted and legislated into law to rule us and suppress God and his truth. This is not my theory. This, this actually is happening. The enemy... The enemy does not play by any rules. So ready or not, the fight is on. You know, the enemy is not going, hey, you guys, I'm going to, let's see, you guys are a little late to the game here. I'm going to give you an extra five minutes to get ready before we start the battle. That's not how the enemy works. Ready or not, the fight is on. The enemy does not play by any rules except those that benefit him. In other words, there are no rules. There are no laws that he obeys. This is why Satan is called the lawless one. It's why Jesus said he is the father of lies. And those who oppose Christ operate as the devil does with no regard to the truth. The Biden administration or our Caesar, our Kaiser... That's where that word came from. The Kaisers in Germany, it's the word Caesar. Because the Pope crowned the German king, the Holy Roman Emperor. And the Holy Roman Emperors, the kings of Germany, went by the title Kaiser, which is our, well, our English word Caesar, it's the same word. Which, yes, it comes all the way from the Caesars that we watch movies about. As in Julius. We still have Caesars today. We just, they just go by different titles. We might call them presidents. You say, no, no, we, we, live in a, we live in a democracy. No, actually, we don't. We don't even know that. We live in a republic. You don't want to live in a pure democracy. Trust me, you don't. We have our administration today, our rulers today, actively promoting the most ungodly and antichrist things you could imagine. Our founding fathers were not afraid to call out King George. We must not be afraid to call out King Joe or any other. We can't be afraid of that. Because these leaders are leading our nation further into hell. And that goes for all of our leaders who reject the truth. From congressmen and councilmen to popes and presidents. We must be ready to stand and fight knowing that we win even in death. And I'm not talking about fighting 
with fists or swords or guns. Though, throughout history, we have seen those things happen. But the first place we must fight is in prayer, on our knees, in the Word. Because the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. They're not natural. They're spiritual. They're mighty through God. You guys have heard of the Equity Act or the Equality Act? The Equality Act, so we are protected. We have in our statement of faith, if you've noticed, certain things written in there, like we believe in the biblical definition of marriage because there is no other definition. doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says. Redefining marriage is like saying squares are now cir circles and circles are now squares. No. It's impossible. Squares are now three-sided. They're no longer four-sided. No, it's impossible. The Equality Act would mean that as a church, if you had a ministry big enough, you would have to hire people, not based on them conforming to your belief, you'd have to hire them. You'd be obligated by law to hire them, even if they were completely contrary. So we believe homosexuality is a sin. We believe men are men and women are women. And gender is defined by biology, not the figments of our imagination. But the Equality Act would mean that we would have to acknowledge someone and the figment of their imagination, if they wanted to be a boy and they were really a girl, we would have to accept that. And we could not say, this person cannot teach in our school. And here's what I've heard. Well, it doesn't really matter because it'll never pass the Senate. No, the fact that they've actually written the legislation and it passed the House, it does matter. And this is what the church keeps saying. Well, it doesn't really matter. Well, it doesn't really matter. Well, we shouldn't pay attention to those things like that. Well, you shouldn't talk about politics when you're preaching, pastor. Because Jesus wasn't political. Really? Jesus is Lord is the most political statement you could ever make. It's what got Christians killed in the Roman Empire. Because what that was saying is Jesus, not Caesar, is Lord. Just say Caesar is Lord and you'll be okay. We'll let you worship. We'll let you live. Let you do whatever you want. No, can't do it. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Off with your head. Into the ring. And we keep saying as the church, well, that will never happen here. You're just too extreme. We shouldn't worry about that. All the while, the enemy is at war. The battle is raging, and the Christians are somewhere way behind the front line asleep. I don't know what they're doing, but they're not on the front line fighting the battle. We have a city council in Taylor, Texas. I hope you virtual people are listening. We have a city council in Taylor who has just formed a committee on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, what do you think that's about? And this volunteer committee is going to advise the council on its decisions and its policies to make sure 
that we as a city are being diverse, equitable, and inclusive. Oh, and by the way, churches are invited. Until, guess what? Until they say, well, you're not, you're not equitable. You're not inclusive. You're not very diverse. Because you think Jesus is the only way. You can't be on our committee. You see what happens? You see what's happening? This is, this is real life. This is happening in, in our own city right here. We better be ready. We better be ready to oppose those things. We've already seen what it meant for the Apostle Paul in places where mobs sought to kill him. He suffered greatly for the gospel many years before they actually took his head off in Rome. He suffered for his witness to Jesus, but he was ready. The question is, are we? For us, being ready in this day and age means, at the very least, being ready to be canceled by the culture. You might lose a place on that board. You might lose some Facebook friends. They might ban you. They might ban your post. Can't see this content because it's too controversial. We don't know if it's true or not, even though it's absolutely true. It's happened before, it will happen again. When we studied the book of Revelation, we saw that the early church was not able to buy or sell unless they acknowledged Caesar as Lord, unless they bore the mark of those submitted to the godless state. And if you don't think that won't happen again, go ahead and hide and watch, because it's coming. It already is. They wouldn't sell Sunetta water pump in Harbor Freight the other day because she didn't have a mask on. Would not allow her to complete the transaction. As they are shielded with plexiglass. <laughs> if you consider all that is happening, you will realize that we are not as far from that today as one might think. We need to be ready to stand and fight Yes, and even die. If we do not at least consider the extreme possibility, we will not be ready for it when it comes. Now you think about going through basic training in the military. They're not preparing soldiers to go to the fight, assuring them that there is no possibility that they're going to be killed. Hey, you guys, we're just putting you through all this, but don't worry. There's no chance that you're ever going to get killed in war. We're just... Just going through the motions here. No, they prepare soldiers for the very real possibility that they could die in a war. And the point of making them ready is so that they don't have to die. For us, death is not what happens to our physical bodies. Death is what happens after our physical body experiences the cessation of life. It's what the Bible calls the second death. That's the death you need to be worried about. Paul wasn't worried about having his head taken off in Rome. He knew where he was going. He knew his life was being poured out. And, and, and when he died, he was going to gain everything. It's what Revelation calls the second death that we need to be concerned about. And those who are not in Christ, those who have rejected Jesus, those are the ones in danger of the second death. So for us, if we're ready, 
Even if we die physically, we win. A soldier must be prepared to die, but being ready is not about defeat. It's about victory. We're called to be ready, not because we'll be defeated, but because Jesus has already conquered. And we are called to take the ground. Advancing the kingdom is risky and dangerous work, even though Jesus is already victorious. In life and in death, we win. Therefore, we must not be fearful, but courageous to do the work of the kingdom. We must be ready with the gospel. We're not called to pick fights. We're called to preach the gospel. But to the world, understand this. Living and preaching the gospel is picking a fight to them. Because they don't want to hear it. They don't want to be confronted with it. Have you ever wondered why we can accept every other book in history that has infinitely less historical, archaeological reasons to believe it to be true other than the Bible? Because there's no other book in history that puts a demand on us that the Bible does. If we profess the Bible to be true, and the world knows this, why am I going to profess something to be true and then reject it if I believe it's true? So what I do is just say it's not true. It is a willful suppression of the truth. Preaching the gospel, making disciples, obeying Jesus are not static endeavors. You don't, just, you don't just stay in one place and do that. That's like saying, I'm going to run a race in place. You can't do that. You can't win a race by running in place. Obeying Jesus is not a static endeavor. By nature... It moves us forward, advancing the kingdom, crashing through the gates of hell. Christianity is not a static religion. Christianity in Christ must fill the earth as the world-conquering, dominating kingdom of God overcomes all. You will not see coexist. You know that bumper sticker? You will not see that driving around the new heaven and the new earth. It won't exist. Jesus and Jesus alone will rule. And as we advance the gospel, we are engaging in the fight and we will experience the opposition. Can't help it. It's going to happen. That opposition is growing more and more bold and more and more heated even as we speak. The good news is we are called to a baptism of fire that will not destroy us, but it will refine us. Don't be afraid of the fire. We must be ready to win. Much of the church today seems to be resigned to defeat. At least it seems that way to me. A large segment has been convinced that we're simply here to save as many as possible before we're raptured out of this world into a heavenly bliss. Where are the gates of hell shall not prevail in that theological system? Where is it? Why, do we, why did Jesus have to tell us the gates of hell won't prevail if we're just going to all get airlifted out of here as the world gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse? We are not called to escape. We're called to conquer. We are not called to fly away. We're called to press forward, 
Not looking back. We're not called to fortify ourselves until we're airlifted out, but to be busy about the business of the kingdom until he comes again. And what's he coming for? Not a defeated church waiting for the great escape. The Bible says he's coming for a glorious church, a glorious bride without spot or wrinkle. Fear is not of God. Perfect love casts out fear. If we are followers of Jesus, we of all people on planet earth should be courageous. Because we have every reason to fear not. Gates are stationary. The church is to advance through them, open or close. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That is the promise of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and our King. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. That too is a promise concerning Jesus, our Lord and King, and his church. We must be ready to engage the enemy. To win, we must engage the enemy. This is how God has written his story. You can see this throughout the word of God. We saw it in Israel's history. You know it could have been, God could have just zapped all of those tribes in the promised land and said, okay, guys, I got it all cleaned out and ready for you to go. Just march right on in. But he didn't do that. He said, you go in and you defeat them. You drive them out. But God said, I'll go before you. But you're going to have to defeat them. You're going to have to drive them out. So we see this principle in Israel's history. We see it in the birth and the advance of the New Testament church. Anytime you engage the enemy, there is danger and risk. God has given us as many verses as we have days in the year exhorting us not to fear. Jesus promised us tribulation in this world, but he followed that promise with these words, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And so he has, and so do we. We overcome. We are overcomers. That's what we're called. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. We win. Jesus is king. Being ready means being salt and light. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. You are the salt of the earth and if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Light is not trying to dispel darkness. Light, by its very nature, dispels darkness. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but if you've ever put too much salt in something, you realize that the salt's not trying to be salty. It, it is. And you can taste it. God has given us the grace. He has called us salt and light. He has given us great grace to let our light so shine before men that they may see our works and glorify our Father in heaven. Thanks be to God for his goodness and his grace that has made us the salt of the earth.
and the light of the world. And that grace has come to us through Jesus Christ. And we come to this table. We come to the Lord's table every week giving thanks to his name for the grace that's been given to us in Jesus Christ. Grace to be salt. Grace to be light. Grace to be ready for the battle and the fight that's before us. As you trust in Jesus, as you count yourself members of the covenant, members of the body of Christ, both young and old, come to the table. Welcome to Jesus. Let's all stand. Your charge today is to not be afraid to be salty. Don't hide your light. Be ready for the fight. Whatever form it may take and however it comes to you, the fight is here. It is real. And we need to be, we must be ready for it. Paul was ready to be bound and to die for the name of Jesus. We do not know what the future holds for the church in America, but we know the one who holds the future. And whatever the future holds, we must be ready. Read the word like never before. Spend time in prayer and meditation asking God to strengthen and grow you in him. Know that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and it dwells there in power. We walk in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are mighty in God. Mighty to pull down strongholds. Mighty to cast down arguments and imaginations or anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And then it says, being ready to punish all disobedience in our obedience. In Christ, you are clothed in the armor of God. Stand in it, fight in it, and know that in him we are victorious. In his name, go out and kick in the gates of hell. Because God has given you the power to do it. They cannot prevail against you. Amen?